I'm very glad to be joined by Ginny MacDonald, who is the director of the Theos Think Tank here in London. Hi there, Ginny. Hello, good to be here. Thanks for your time. Um, I'm, I've been in touch with you because I'm involved in a project working with designers, thinking about how love can be fostered through design. And this is process and service design, as it's called. So contexts that aren't just personal and um, to do with romance, but are to do with civic spaces, political spaces, the ecological world, um, and also across cultures. And what I've been doing is speaking to people um, to try and open up this idea of love. And sometimes that's well done by sort of plunging the depths of it, um, but also thinking about how it shows up differently in different contexts, different cultures, different parts of the world. And so I thought of you because um, you've lived in the UK since you were four, I think, um, but were born in Nigeria, have family in Nigeria. And so have been thrown into the midst of um, cultures coming together um, and what it's like to experience that very tangibly. And so I was hoping you might be able to help me and other listeners think about how that affects people's experience or attitudes, understanding even of love. Um, so it's a big question, but look, another way of asking it a bit more directly is um, sometimes, you know, you hear, maybe commonly you hear the idea that love is a universal. Um, you know, we're both Christians and the idea that God is love might be a summary phrase used very widely to talk about Christianity. Um, with the assumption that that's a universal expression. And yet you also, um, the minute you start drilling down, say, into language, um, the different ways that love are expressed. And so one of the things that I've already come across, for example, is that, um, I don't know, an Igbo phrase for to love can be transliterated as to see you with my eyes, which has a much more um, sort of interactive um, palpable sense or um, a friend of mine who's um, a Swahili speaker um, told me that to love really can be transliterated as to love one another and um, with that one another wrapped up into the word now it's always a bit risky um, breaking phrases down because people don't always think about what's what they're actually saying in that kind of way um, but do you feel that um, there's a lot to go on this idea that love is a universal, um, but then it manifests in different ways. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, just when you were talking just then, I realised um, I do think that love is a universal in that to love is an essentially very human thing to do. It's part of what makes us human the ability to love others the ability to fall in love the ability to have kind of familial bonds of love as well as friendship as well and that kind of uh, that 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 form of love but i was thinking about whether um someone from the Igbo kind of culture that i'm from in southeastern nigeria if we think about us kind of in our in our own context if we arrive in the uk what are the markers of a loving society that we would recognise as loving? And this is, this is a completely different context. And you might think, hmm, these people don't love each other. 
these people um, put their elderly parents in a care home when they get old. Uh, these people leave mothers to cope by themselves when they've just had a baby. These people um, leave uh, people to come up with their own kind of funds to fund, fund funerals when, when their loved ones die. I think we can see in the kind of rites of passage of what it is to be, to be human from my own kind of Igbo culture, that's where I see us kind of putting love in practice. The idea of um, kind of Southern African term of Ubuntu or the term to see people um, with our eyes is this kind of a dialogue of love. Love can't just exist in a vacuum. It is done in practice. And there are all sorts of ways, I think, from my culture that I can point to that kind of demonstrate those. I think it's also easy for us, for me, sometimes to fall into the trap of when I'm talking about my kind of my own heritage to look at it with this kind of romantic kind of perfect ideal of what it is to be human and to critique um, the white European Western culture that I have been brought up in. Um, but it's not to say that one is better than the other. There are just you know, differences um, as well. Certainly, um, just picking up on one thing you were saying there, the tendency to idealise um, forms of love. I mean, I, I have um, had an involvement historically in, in gay politics and um, there... Um, it's quite easy to idealise gay relationships as if they, I don't know, represent a kind of freedom or they challenge society. Um, they're kind of in a culturally um, more expressive space. I don't know, whatever the idealisations might be, um, that then um, can then easily swing the other way, actually. If you're not careful, you kind of get into a bit of a swinging um, situation where on the one minute it's idealised and the next minute, um, of course, it's denigrated um, and all the problems thrown up and then people, um, you know, chuck out the baby with the bathwater. Um, so I guess that um, trying to think about how um, one can sort of learn from difference and incorporate it with the focus on expanding one's experience rather than the critique for critique's sake. And that's the way that um, I've tried to think about it. Um, I mean, an another question that's maybe related um, is how um, experiences of shame um, because of difference um, can affect um, the way that one feels maybe one is... Um, uh, uh, allowed to love or has the right to love or, you know, deep habits of keeping um, emotional vulnerability hidden. Um, I'm a psychotherapist, so think about these things. Um, but I guess that would be another um, part of this. Yeah, I, um, I hope they won't, won't mind me saying this. I talk about this quite often, but my husband is um, white and from Yorkshire. Uh, and I would class his um, his family as a very kind of stereotypical, stiff upper lip British family. And when I think about kind of this kind of difference in cultures and how we show love to each other, I think about my mother-in-law's funeral a few years ago. Um, uh, my mother-in-law had, had died from cancer and we were at the family home 
um, my husband and his siblings and their partners waiting for the, the, the hearse to arrive. And my dad and my aunt, who had travelled a long way to come to the funeral, because that's what we do when a loved one or a loved one of a loved one or a loved one of a loved one of a loved one dies, we we show up. Um, they kind of walked into the house, you know, ready for to hear wailing and, you know, deep anguish and grief uh, about the loss of their mother. And what they heard was talking about the weather. They heard talking about the news. They heard uh, talking about anything but um, the fact that um, my mother-in-law had died. And my dad talked about it being so very strange. This idea that um, perhaps there was a shame in showing um, this kind of depth of grief for you, the fact that your mother has died. Um, uh, it's almost kind of embarrassing um, to show that level of emotion Contrast being in my own culture, uh, in the Igbo, um, if you go to an Igbo funeral, you will hear, you will hear grief. You will hear people wailing, um, kind of ripping their clothes. You'll, you'll see probably professional mourners who have been kind of, um, called to come and kind of show that expression of grief. And, that to me is another extreme, and I don't know whether that is that is healthy. But at least there is not that kind of self consciousness about or or shame about showing the fact that you have you're experiencing this deep anguish at, at a very human moment. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it makes me think about how um, rituals around love change across time. Um, you know, it wasn't so long ago um, in Britain, Victorian period, where say around death. There were all sorts of rituals which would now be regarded as, well, even self-indulgent or morbid, um, you know, wearing black for long periods of time, black-headed notepaper, that kind of thing. Um, and I guess that, again, um, seeing the rich um, sort of, I don't know, smorgasbord of uh, different approaches um, can uh, help us sort of question um, our own, particularly these practices. I mean, you know, you mentioned there the Ubuntu before, and you worked at Christian Aid before as well, didn't you? And, um, you know, that's been brought in to try and foster new ways of um, communicating healing difference, um, particularly in, uh, I came across it particularly in the Church of England, um, where across the Anglican Communion, um, those, those particularly just very practical things like sitting in a circle um, often it, it seems to come down to quite tangible, um, well, you know, questions of design, actually, um, how you approach yeah. these things that then can open up um, a part of us, which actually we then find we share because of this common sense of being human and love being something that everybody ultimately can relate to. Yeah, in in Nigeria, in that uh, Igbo ethnic group in particular um, that I have experience of. There's something in the design of how um, how we do houses. The houses themselves are often big, and obviously that means that you can afford to have to build that kind of house. So that is an another issue. There is a there is big inequality in, in in Nigeria. But let's imagine that you have the money to be able to build a house. Now you build a house not just for yourself or your own community or your own family, but you build a house for um, 
people to come and stay, um, people who are relatives, people who are not. You build a house that can accommodate your elderly parents. You and you so there's the house itself. There's also this idea of a village. So in my father's village, um, which is Umudai Shingwu, um, in Umwahia in 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 Nigeria, you build houses alongside your family and you kind of have a compound, even though it might be a few steps away to your great uncle's house or your grandfather's house, or whatever. Our, the design of um, our villages are such that we live alongside our community and you can you have a place that is um that is yours, um, that belongs to you. Um, and I found that so interesting myself as someone who has grown up in the UK. If someone asked me where my actual home is, I might have only visited it a few times in my life, but I, when I arrive in that place, that feels like it's a place that I, like I am of the earth there. Um, that I have come from that place. So there's something about the design of the, the, the structures of how we do homes and communities. I just also say that um, I noticed this when I had my first child. In 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 Igbo land, we have something called um, Omugwa, which is where um, my mother would have come to stay for three months after I had my first child. Um, to look after me, to cook for me, um, and lots of different uh, cultures have this, but it is an expression of practical love um, at a time of deep existential kind of angst when you've had your first child or you become a parent, Some someone who loves you, who is there to, to provide for you and help you. Now, practically, when I had my first child and I lived in the UK in a flat in southeast London, there was nowhere for my for my mother to stay. She couldn't have come to stay for three months. Um she was also kind of <laughs> working full time herself. So I kind of noticed the difference in how the kind of structure of where I lived was not able to accommodate this kind of expression of practical love. I mean, that's that's fascinating um, because it also um, raises questions to do with gender and love as well. Um, you know, that it would be the mother that was expected to be with the daughter um, and I guess that's partly because, um, you know, the mother would be free traditionally to do that. Um, that would be seen as part of her work in inverted commas, whereas, you know, you, you say your mother was working. So that was one reason why she couldn't. So that I guess that's another way in which tension can be felt um, when trying to mm. understand how the practical expressions of love can show up. Yeah, I, I just recall this um, conversation that I had with Robin Dunbar last year um, and we were chatting and he talked about something I'd never heard of, which was about the the reason why um, female humans go through the menopause is so that they are then free to basically look after their grandchildren and to, to support their, their grandchildren. I guess that is both, it could be that both parents could be the mother or the father, but this idea that it is the, it is the female grandmother who would be the person who... Who, who might be able to kind of come and support, but there are all sorts of kind of gendered dimensions to it. There's, I guess I'm an eldest daughter um, in, uh, in an Igbo tradition. The eldest daughter is the Ada. So kind of like uh, described as like 
just ha- just has a very special place. But there's also a lot of responsibility on the ADAF or the community to kind of provide, to to be responsible for lots of things, to think about other people. Um, and there are all sorts of kind of, I guess, pressures put on women uh, and in particular eldest daughters to 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 show practical love in a way that can could potentially be seen as burdensome. Um, um, yeah, I, I definitely see that. Hmm. Yeah, they're hard, these things, because um, they clearly are, are um, you know, at least in good parts, they aimed at, um, at the good, at um, building societies where there's roles, responsibilities that then can practically deliver care. Um, and yet, because of the way that cultures come together so easily um, in the modern world, um, questions arise and then the reshaping of that becomes, um, well, both a challenge, but maybe also an opportunity. Um, I guess the, the risk is that one loses the um, the depth of the tradition um, and what it really does offer um, security and practically, emotionally, and just a sense of you know, profound connection. You mentioned their um, feeling of a place and of a land um, and how valuable that is to have, um, which, you know, as myself, you know, have been born and raised in Britain, modern Britain, I, would, I wouldn't be quite sure about that, where, where I'm connected to a land, um, uh, apart from the island of, of, of Britain in general. Um, yeah, so, you know, a lot, a lot of things here to, to, think, to think about. Um, just the final um, thought I wanted to put to you as well was um, you've written a book called God is Not a White Man that looks at how the images of in Christianity, God and Jesus in particular, um, are typically portrayed as um, white. And, and that can be the case even in non-white countries as well. Um, I was in India a few months ago in Tamil Nadu, very Christian part of India, and it was striking how the images of Christ were white on the whole, um, even in a almost completely um, non-white congregation. But for the purposes of our conversation, you know, if if God is love, to go back to where I started, um, and our images of God tend to be um, coloured in the sense that they they have a particular colour, come from particular cultures. Do you think that um, those images of God that we carry within us affect the sense of love that we have? You know, maybe... I don't know, love, um, it's felt needs a kind of patriarchal quality of holding if your image of God the Father um, is of a particular tenor. Um, or, um, you know, maybe um, if your image of, of Christ is white, then that conveys a certain kind of, I don't know, maybe paternalistic notion of love that is um, consciously or not woven into your sense of what love can be now look um you know paternalism i don't think it's all bad actually because it's about responsibility in part but nonetheless if god is not a white man does that also um have implications to the way we think about divine love and and therefore love more generally yes this is something i'm thinking a lot about at the moment because i'm writing another book um called unmaking mary the myth of divine motherhood and I grew up in the kind of evangelical tradition of Christianity in which we just did not think about Mary at all. Like she was kind of, 
like something that only the the bad Catholics kind of cared about. But I've realised that in kind of exploring what Mary represents, but also the kind of, I guess, the maternal um, ideas about God, that for me has provided a much more um, tangible way into ideas about how God loves us. Um, and, and and in some ways that's because of the kind of stereotypical archetypes of a, a mother's love as kind of nurturing, comforting, um, uh, self-sacrificial, all, these, all of these ideas about what a mother is. But, but I understand those. And most of us understand what is meant by a mother's love. Um, and that to me is much closer to actually what I think God is like, a God who welcomes us in, who envelops us in love, who, 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 f- from whom we were birthed, that we were kind of, that sense of kind of being of the earth or the, of the, um, uh, of my kind of village earth, that sense of being of God, the idea of the Imago Dei, the divine love. I can understand that when I understand these ideas of God as mother or how God mothers us in the sense of kind of um, the verb of motherhood rather than the kind of this archetype of motherhood as an institution. So I, I think it matters how we, um, how we picture God, not because, not just because of political correctness or anything like that, but because it really does affect whether we understand it or not, our notions of these big ideas, I think they need to be kind of graspable and made more tangible. And I think if we can recognise something more of either ourselves or how we experience love in how God is portrayed, then that helps us, um, just helps us understand it more, I think. No, I mean, I completely agree. As I say, I, I work as a psychotherapist and it's a very good question to ask people what their God image is. Um, and they'll say, but I don't believe in God. And you say, well, it doesn't actually matter because we, because of history, whatever, we, our ideals are often very closely associated with God images. Um, and, and what's mm-hmm. permissible to imagine as well. You mentioned there the sort of, it's the Catholics that, um, that, that value Mary. Well, it's, it's great that these taboos are being broken down and that you're able to think about maternal images of the divine as well. Um, because I think that's the way of understanding what's active and alive inside of us, um, you know, kind of whether we like it or not. Um, so mm. that, that's a really rich set of thoughts. Thanks particularly for um, the very tangible set of your own personal reflections, because that really brings things to life. Um, and I hope will help those who are listening in, whether they're part of our designer cohort or not. So, Chinny, look, thanks for your time again and um, go well. Thank you, Mark.